Welcome back, everybody. Another edition, episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Today's guest is Todd Mowdy. Todd is a partner at CBX. Uh, we've, we had uh, Saturu on uh, last season. We've got Todd on this season. And he's going to be talking about all sorts of stuff related to packaging design. It was a fantastic interview. And this interview, this podcast is being brought to you by Spec Right. Uh, take back control of your data. If you're a packaging designer, don't you want to know that the things that you're designing are going on the right substrates with the right inks, with the right design? Don't you want to know that those brands value that data? Go to specright.com backslash PKG and, and figure out some ways on how you can take control of that data as a brand owner. Maybe you're a packaging design studio like a CBX and you want to ensure that your stuff is getting made properly. That is specright, S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T dot com backslash P-K-G. All right, let's get to the interview with Todd. Great. All right, so I'm here with Todd Mowdy. Todd, you are the second guest we've had from CBX. Did you uh, did you know that? We had we had a guest in, I think it was season three. Um, we had Saturu Wakashima. Yes, Satoru on... is our managing director and chief engagement officer. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. Um, yeah. He he gave a, a just a, a really great overview of you know what you guys do, and it was it was a fascinating conversation. So I'll I'll encourage anybody you know if you're looking for any of these episodes to listen to, um, listen to that one, then come listen to, to this one here with Todd, and I think it's going to be uh, it'll 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 flow really nicely for you. So. Uh, Todd, welcome to the People Packaging Podcast. I'm I'm excited to have you on. Thanks, Adam. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So we were uh, talking a little bit prior to the show, um, or at least prior to hitting record. And um, so I know that you have beautiful hair, just like myself. That we are (laughs) we are both. uh, Speed to market. We're about speed to market. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's uh, it's about efficiency, right? Just bald exactly. is beautiful, and just embrace it. Uh, mine mine started. I I called it the Andre Agassi principle. Yeah. So I had pretty nice full hair, and then I started to go a little thin, and um, I shaved it. Actually, I was a, I was a speaker at a, at a youth camp, and I shaved it to be uh, Professor X from the X Men in a skit, um, <laughs> just because it was the summer and I was a speaker, and I thought it'd be fun. Yep. And uh, my my wife was like, actually, it looks pretty good. And then that was it. Um, yeah. I never I never went back. So a little bit of thinning, uh, and I just went for it. And I haven't I haven't gone back. Yeah, I kind of went through the same thing where it was thinning, and then tried to keep it and hide it as much as I can. And then one day I just shaved it off. It's just go be. for it. Yeah. Thank and thank God that you know our our heads have at least a decent shape. That uh, <laughs> I don't have that any is true wrinkles. <laughs> That is that is quite true. Yeah, some people it's like I'm not sure that was the right decision. Just let <laughs> just keep it keep it keep a little bit of hair up there. Uh, well, anyway, Todd, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, obviously we know that you are bald and that you <laughs> that you you work at CBX, but um, it, yeah, just you you don't mind giving us a little bit of background on on your history and you know where you live and what it is you do. Sure, sure. So uh, my name's Todd Mowdy. I'm one of the partners at CBX. I've been with CBX for uh, I'm in my 15th year of our 18 years in existence. Um, you know, I actually started in the industry as an illustrator. 
um, graduated college with a fine arts degree and I really had visions of being a, either a cartoonist or a sculptor and then quick, quickly realized that I was probably going to starve to death and then uh, took a job as an illustrator at a small little startup agency in New Jersey and then ended up staying there uh, it was about nine years and I was I left as the creative director and the company was called Special Projects Group and we worked on really cool special projects, whether it was oh. launching the NFL on ESPN or launching Adidas's new run DMC sneakers. And now I'm really dating myself. Um, working no, you got my company. attention. You, you wouldn't know this, but right behind me on the, cause I got a green screen behind me, but I've got like 60 sneaker boxes that are empty from my shoes that I have. Oh, no kidding. That I have. So I love, and, and I'm a huge eighties and nineties hip hop fan. So I'm like, wait, run DMC. We could have a whole podcast about that one project. <laughs> and I would oh, just love that, it. I would love to. Nerd oh, out that was it. an awesome, it was an awesome project. It was so much fun. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going, I'll be at Lux pack in New York city. And I'm like, I wonder if I could go to Hollis Queens just to like pay tribute to yeah. So like the, these, these like godfathers of hip hop music. So ah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and then I left that agency and said, you know what? I could do this on my own. I opened up my own agency uh, in, on Canal Street in New York. Uh, I cut a deal with a printer. He gave me office space. I gave him stuff to print and uh, did some work for Sony and Citibank and ESPN again. And then, and then, I got approached by an associate of mine that I used to work with who was working for another agency and we ended up cutting a deal and they bought my company and I went to go work for them. Now, now I'm really going to date myself. This is back when I, I was probably still doing marker comps to sell, to sell creative. And this is just when Macs were coming into the industry, right? So um, when the Macs were really starting to roll, the agency that I sold my company to was still doing things conventionally. And I'm like, look, guys, I, I can't go in with marker comps to sell Sony digital equipment. I, I need, you know, Mac comps. So tried to conv convince them to go digital, but they didn't. So so I kind of just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Hmm. I took the summer off. I learned how to play golf. And then I have since forgotten how to play golf. Um, and then uh, I took an interim job at a company called Damon Associates, which was a food broker that represented manufacturers to retailers and sourcing private label products. I took it as an interim job. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go from marketing run DMC sneakers to selling ShopRite string beans. Um, but it was a really progressive company and they were on a, on a significant growth trend. And I ended up staying there 15 years. Um, I started an advertising agency for them and we built a package design firm. We had like six offices around the world. Um, and that was all about trying to elevate branding for retailers as well as managing scale and volume. Um, and the, the beauty of that opportunity was, you know, we worked in 40 different countries. So I was exposed to the variety of different markets around the world, whether it was Germany, Spain, uh, London, Japan, China, South Africa. And it was great to work with retailers all over the world to kind of really see how packaging is, is uh, treated in those markets. Um, yeah. And then, you know, being a creative deep down, it kind of got really corporate. Um, you know, as that company grew to a multi-billion dollar organization, I spent more time looking at spreadsheets and attending officer meetings than I did spending time with the creatives, which is what I loved. 
And then I met a few of the partners at CBX, which was a company that was a couple of years old, um, really super creative company. Um, and uh, so I joined them as a partner as they wanted to kind of get into the retail space. So they were doing a lot of work for General Mills, you know, Milkbone, um, J.M. Smucker. Um, so, so they wanted to kind of get into the retail space. So I joined them. And, uh, and so I've been there ever since. And, and, you know, it was really one of the interesting stories I have is when I joined the previous company, I was in my early 30s. And I was like, no pun intended, the redheaded stepchild. I was the creative guy in a sales-driven organization, in the manufacturing mm -hmm. and sales-driven organization. So I was kind of the oddball. Um, and so I always considered myself the young creative guy. Um, and then I joined CBX and, you know, I live in Connecticut and I was working downtown in New York and trying to figure out how was I going to get back and forth to the office. I was taking driving and I was doing trains and buses and trying to figure out. So one day I'm coming home after my second week on the train. And that's why I had two hours to reflect. And I said, wow, like overnight, I, in my own mind, I went from being the young, cool, creative guy to the old corporate guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, overnight. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, that was a really eye-opening experience for me because CB, CBX really prides itself on having outstanding talent, whether they're in the mm -hmm. strategy department, creative department, or design. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, at CBX, we've spent um, uh, the last 15 years um, really working with a really wide group of customers, uh, large CPG companies where we're helping them manage their brands and manage their packaging, help them expand their portfolios to small little startups that are kind of being challenger brands in certain categories. Um, and then working with retailers. And we, we've worked with the you know, number one or number two retailer in 10 different channels of trade, probably designed over, I couldn't say 50,000 SKUs. Right. Um, in, in trying to help retailers figure out how do they manage their brand portfolio. Um, so, so, so that was, that's the 10 minute explanation of my career. Whew. Let's pause for a quick break. That was a lot of information. Can you imagine doing all that work for these new innovative brands or for these big retailers, these big CPG companies doing all of that work, putting in all that time and then losing all of that data, giving over control of that data to a packaging manufacturer, a contract manufacturer, stop doing it. I want you to go to specright.com backslash PKG, sign up for a free trial and learn how it's going to be easy for you to manage the entire packaging life cycle from ideation to production. Make sure you get it done. Specright.com backslash PKG. Let's go back to hear from Todd. That's great. And you did a good job, I think, even. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit more about about CBX. Um, you know, I know you, you just have the two offices then. You've got um, offices in New York City. And then we talked about uh, Minneapolis yep. as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, it was interesting when they started. Um, New York and Minneapolis kind of opened up around the same time, you know, uh, and then they were really predicated on clients. Um, mm -hmm. So Minneapolis, we they, General Mills was a was a key client, and we wanted to be close to the customer, and so we opened up an office in Minneapolis in New York. I think at that time Johnson and Johnson was one of their big clients, and so we opened up an office in New York. Actually, at one point we we were we were doing a lot of work for Nestle, so we had an office out in San Francisco too. 
um, right on the outskirts of San Francisco in Larkspur, California. And then we consolidated that office down into our Minneapolis office. Got it. Got it. So we got, okay, about, 90, we got about 80, 90 people across two offices. Oh man, you read my mind. I was just going to ask how many, about how many people are there. So that's, uh, that's great. And, you know, I've heard nothing but great things about CBX just as a coming from the, we, we had common customers, but you know, we weren't obviously competing. So I was working, I've been working for packaging manufacturing companies um, and, and you guys are doing design. And so I think there's a lot of, you know, there's certainly a lot of, uh, mm -hmm common common threads that get woven together there um and, and we're going to dig in a little bit more to that um here kind of towards the end of the interview but i but i i had this pressing question um that that i've i've asked or i've always been kind of curious about from the creative side because i am randomly creative but i'm certainly not like i never dreamed of being an illustrator i did at one point want to design sneakers for nike so i would like sketch out shoes when i was in middle school and i thought i was really great at it but never seriously um so from a from a creative perspective when i'm sure that you go to the store and you're like that that looks like crap and and that was you know that's really well done and like there's probably different things that you're looking at as a designer, but when a brand comes to you with sort of a, a clean slate, like what sort of things do you look at for motivation? Cause it certainly can't be, I can't imagine it's, you know, go to the store, walk the aisle, see what everyone else is doing and make some iterations on that. Right. So how, how do you consistently find motivation to and kind of some inspiration i guess like do you you talked about being an illustrator like do you go look at you know anime and yeah, uh right. and then you know cartoons and then you go to like a, a car show or whatever it is i don't know i'm just always curious about about that because i'm not really wired that way well so it's interesting i think each creative probably has their own little different ways of being inspired mm -hmm. um and you know uh you know for me growing up kind of Kind of doing it the old way, you know, because because for me, I made a conscious decision, however many years ago it was, thirty years ago, to not get caught up in the technology. Uh, I, I was more more about the idea, and and so uh, when I was at an agency and they wanted me to get into doing the Mac work, I'm like, I'm not doing that because um, I liked sitting on a drawing board, right? Because for me, it was the composition of the idea where I think now the technology, you kind of get caught up in how do you add that shadow and how mm. do you add that dimension? And so um, so for me back then, you know, I spent an enormous amount of time in the marketplace. Now, being an artist, um, I still draw, I still doodle, I still paint, I still sculpt, I do models. Um, I, I am a car guy. I've got a classic car that I'm in the process of restoring. Um, so, so I get inspired by a lot of things because, you know, you know, everything that we look at has been designed by somebody, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so there's always a design component to something, whether it's the lines of a car, um, whether it's the color that's on a house, um, whether it's a garden that somebody plants. Um, but spending a lot of my career dealing with retailers, I love spending time in a store. Um, actually, when if, if we work with clients, one of the things we mandate is we prefer to make design decisions in the retail environment, because 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 looking at a screen or a printout in a boardroom isn't going to kind of do justice to where that brand is yeah. going to live. 
Um, and so, so it's funny, you know, my wife doesn't like me to go grocery shopping with her because it, it'll take me hours to get through an aisle. And I'm she, pretty sure a lot of packaging, uh, significant others and spouses who are with or married to other packaging people can, because oh, my wife's the same way. It's just like, can you come on? And I'm like, I'm checking out this label. I don't know how they made this. It's really fascinating. And yeah. No, she's like, yeah, great. You can throw it in the cart. Uh, let's get going. hundred <laughs> percent. You know, like she'll, she'll be like, she'll be texting me on the other side. of So she said, where are you? And I'm like, I'm still over by this aisle because, you know, I'm looking at the olive oil section. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and I, and in my past career, and I know you, you've got a, you know, a printing background, you know, printing was something we always bought a lot of, right? So I'm also fascinated with how things are produced, you know, whether they're foils or whether they're stamping or whether there's, you know, six colors, five colors, how they're doing things with two colors, duotones and all those things. Um, and so for me, I love going into a retail environment, uh, no matter what that environment is, because to me, um, one, the space is designed a certain way. Mm -hmm. The product adjacency has been chosen for a specific reason. The products that are on the shelf are chosen for a specific reason. They sit on the shelf in a certain area for a specific reason. Right. And, and a lot of that's based off of things that we probably really don't get in touch with or deal with, which is it's a dollars and cents thing, right? It's a merchandising, it's a, yep. it's a cost thing. So, um, so I find a lot of inspiration because a lot of what we do is packaging in stores. And, and um, I, I also like to go out of context. You know, I think being, being out of the space that you're focused on kind of is probably even more inspirational. So if you're, if you're gonna have to design something in the olive oil category, you know, I may go to a pet store and say, yeah. you know, what, what are they doing in certain areas of their store? So, so looking at an analogous brands that might have similar design and branding challenges for me is very, very, very inspirational. And then look, you know, with the internet today, I mean, you could type in anything and, 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 and get inspiration online. Um, we are also big advocates of data. Um, so, um, you know, we subscribe to the things and there's this one tool that we have, which is called GNPD, Global New Products Database, which is updated globally, hmm. hourly. So, you know, I can go into that system and type in a category and find a new product that may have launched in Argentina yesterday <laughs> to see what's happening. So you can really kind of stay current. Um, I'm also a big lover of art. You know, I do go to galleries quite often. So I, I do get inspired by art and different mediums that are out there. Um, the other thing from a CBX perspective that we kind of put into a practice is we kind of, we kind of base some of our approach around people, brand, and culture. <laughs> so what's happening in culture today? You know, like we, we did a proprietary study around millennials, I mean, uh, Gen Z, and what's important to Gen Z. And it was really interesting to hear that their cultural perception around gender neutrality impacted how they thought about color so blue for boys and pink for girls was a no-no at least with that that demographic profile and colors like yellow which happen to be behind you are appealing to them because they're seen as a neutral color mm. and so it's really interesting to kind of marry some insights on behavioral thinking and how people approach things and things that are important to them because today i think consumers the younger consumers I'm more about buying into something, the beliefs of that company than just buying something. Yeah. So really understanding that psyche is really important and understanding that those behavioral issues. Um, 
And then look, you got to really do it. You do your homework on the brand. You know, what's the brand's business? Where are they? What's their portfolio? How wide are they? And what's their competitive set? Um, and, and then, so that combination of things that are happening culturally, things that are happening with people's psyche uh, and, and what's happening from a demographic standpoint, based off of what's happening in the world around us, to me, I just find uh, probably almost overstimulating. It's almost like going, me walking into a store is almost like going to Vegas. It's just noise everywhere. And you're trying to, you know, stay focused on a specific thing. So sometimes yep. actually when I go shopping, you know, I, I try to say, you know what, today when I go, I'm going to look at the ice cream category. And yeah. I'm just going to see what's happening there. Because um, you can see it from a product perspective, a product trends perspective, a design perspective, and even a structural perspective. Um, how is structure changing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And you kind of hit on um, the, the second part of the question talking about Gen Z. So there was a study done by Forbes. I want It was a couple of years ago now. Um, and I can only imagine its relevancy has increased, which was that Gen Z and millennial buyers were, were spending on average about 10% more for products that they believed had positive, uh, sustainable or environmental impacts. And, um, you know, so you have, you have the, the cultural issues and then you have the environmental issues. And there's a lot of stuff uh, that, that goes into, you know, even like you said, just like picking a color candidly, um, I like the color because going back to my love of hip hop, I, I was a big Wu-Tang fan growing up. So that's the only reason I picked yeah. the yellow and the black color. Um, but people ask me like, are you a big Steelers fan? I'm like, no, I don't, not yeah. even really at all. But uh, so it, it, like, this is a thing. And, and I was talking about this. I know you were on um, Avelio's podcast, which is, which is awesome. Um, like yeah. I've already, uh, no, I know I mentioned Satura's on mine. Uh, his his uh, packaging design unboxed podcast recently. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and and I need to listen to it. I should have listened to it prior to us talking, but <laughs> I didn't. Sorry, Avelio. But everyone else should go check it out. Um, along with that, uh, my buddy Corey Connors has one called Sustainable Packaging, and I think right. they're both doing a great job. So, but talking about sustainability, talking about um, you know design and and millennials and Gen Z, I always wonder about this kind of conversation where you're doing design and you and other designers at CBX have, you know, you have your own forms of inspiration. You have your own kind of motivation. You have your own data that you're bringing and you bring it all together. And, uh, and a, and a brand says, this is great. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is really great. But, uh, we think this all needs to be done in aluminum or, you know, they just have a material that they're like, Right. We firmly believe that this material, or we firmly believe that the and, and they're they're kind of unmoved in what they're they're very firm and resolute in that belief. And right. so in that moment, how do you navigate, you know, your data, your own inspirations, but you don't want to necessarily place on top of them your belief system, right? You want to be able to have that conversation. Does that happen often? I feel like that would happen regularly especially with new clients as you get to know people you can probably start to understand what they're what they're all about but is that a conversation that happens or i just like making up that that would be a thing that would go on well you know look it, it happens i think almost with every one of our clients it's just a matter of to what degree yeah right? it depends on you know it depends on who we're talking to um you know i, I always think i think it's a balance right so it really kind of starts with you know you gotta we have to kind of understand the objectives that we're trying to accomplish because 
the one challenge I think being a creative and working in the creative industry is, 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 is without context, it's just opinion, right? I, I could sit here and say, I don't like yellow, but you love yellow for a reason, right? That doesn't make you right or me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so without context as to why certain things are the way they are, it's hard to evaluate them and creatively respond to them because then it's just a subjective game of personal likes. Um, so one of the things that when we do when we work with customers is to really kind of align on what, what are we trying to accomplish? Am I trying to accomplish that this item is um, very futuristic? And, and because of that platform, they're saying aluminum needs to be part of it because we think that's super high tech. Um, now, the creative process for us, you know, we're consultants, right? We just happen to have a different medium, right? I'm not walking in with spreadsheets and dollar signs. I'm walking in with creative and ideas and, and pictures. So as a consultant, our job is to kind of interpret what their objectives are. And then there's a variety of inputs, either they're inputs that they're given to us or inputs that we're going to bring in. And in that creative process, there's some inputs that are our, our responsibility is what's happening in the marketplace. Does that make sense? And, and things of that nature. So, so first for me, it's kind of getting it into the context. And then and I, I, I think the, the way we work is we kind of work in, in stages, which is here's, we, I think this I, defines the challenge, right? We've met the challenge here. Um, and that's probably the close in where, depending on the client, if they're a conservative client or an aggressive client, you can kind of get a sense of where they're going to be. Then we'll take it a step further. And then we'll take it a step further. And then if it's an initiative that's really kind of new and exciting and out of the box, um, we, we, we will walk in there and say, what if? <laughs> and show them something that they probably totally wouldn't expect. Hmm. Now, I probably wouldn't walk in the room on a General Mills account and tell them that, you know, Cheerios should change the way it's spelling and not be yellow anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. Right, due to an enormous amount of awareness and equity that they've established over their, their career. But, right. but, but there's a time and place for that. And I think no matter, no matter what project we work on is we kind of align on um, the objective. But the, here's the interesting thing. If somebody said, I want to be futuristic and, and slick, there's a million ways to do that. Mm. I, I can do that on brown paper just as cool as I can do it on aluminum. Right. <laughs> right. So, so we kind of start to se- separate out those ways in and then bring creative inspiration into them, whether that's from analogous packaging, artwork, automobile design, sneaker design, any one of those things to inspire and then say, okay, does this meet that challenge? And then then the design kind of falls from there. And then, yeah, that's cool. You know, the, you know, the, it all comes kind of comes back to who, you know who you're talking to, right? So, um, and not everybody does research to validate things, but in some cases, people like to validate that the decisions they're making are going to be good for their business. And so, the good thing is you can always test it with consumers. And when you test with consumers, we always like to say we're going to test in close in, and we're going to test far out, um, because I think I mean who said it? Uh, her, they, they talk about Henry Ford. They said, if you know, if Henry Ford were to do research and ask him what consumers were looking for, they would have said the faster horse, right? Faster nobody horse, right, right. right. No, nobody would have said a car, right? So, so, um, so you kind of need to provide that inspiration. So it's really a balance, right? Because creativity, and, and I think creatives, um, it's important to kind of have those guardrails because you can creatively go down a path that doesn't make a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. 
I don't think guardrails are are limiting. I just think they're they're focusing, right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of creativity that can happen within a certain set of parameters. One of my favorite. Uh... I don't I I was a pastor by before I got into packaging and and there's a um there's a great uh, illustration about guardrails which is that the in in the Hebrew word for grace is actually a word picture for offense and the idea was like you you can have fun in within the yard right but like right. go outside of the boundaries of the fence and there's no protection for you there right? but have as much fun as you can it it was meant to be you know, kind of like those guardrails, right? Like it was, it was gracious to put them up for, you know, for their family or for, you know, for Yahweh, the God of Israel to do for the Israelites, or whatever it might be. It, that was, that was, uh, that was considered kindness because without that, you could get really lost, you know, in, in the wilderness, if we're going to keep that, that, that story, that analogy going. Um, yeah. So the, cause the, the reason, like that question comes up a lot, uh, like it did today with Avelio was we were talking about sustainability and mm -hmm. how some brands have in their minds what's sustainable. And they've, they've kind of just gathered up their own data on what's actually sustainable. And then they go to a design company and they say, here's what you, here's what I want you to design. And you're like, I don't, I don't actually think that that's good material, or I wouldn't really go to that point. And, you know, the, the balance of, being being a, a consultant, being a trusted advisor with that brand, but also knowing that you're like you still have a job to do, right? And if they're like resolute in that position, it's like it's not maybe your job to convince them of your position and get into some sort of material or color or some kind of argument with them. It's like, hey, we're going to inform you about what our information is, but at the end of the day, it sounds like you're saying let's anchor back to what we're trying to accomplish together and let's stay rooted there, not get lost out in the weeds. Uh, agreed. And, and look, and, the, and I think there's an interesting challenge with sustainability, right? Because sustainability by practice is how am I taking some of the bad things away? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And if it's printing, I'm taking certain printing processes away or inks away or, or types of materials that I can print on or fold with and things of that nature. So that's an interesting challenge, but if the message is really around communicating that, there's probably from a creative perspective, thousands of ways to, yep. to solve that design challenge. Yep. And some, some good ways of communicating and some, right. and brands get in trouble for this, some very misleading ways of communicating. And, you know, I think that's, that's been a challenge too. Um, so we're kind of getting up here, Todd, toward, towards the end. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about a, uh, a post that I saw on, on LinkedIn. And I think it's addressing a, a pretty big challenge, which is there is a tremendous amount of pressure on brands right now to iterate. You know, there's governmental pressures coming in. You've got like the state of California is looking to get rid of certain recycling laws. Uh, you've got EPR regulations, you've got uh, different, you know, um, bioengineer labeling changes that are happening. The only thing constant is change in packaging design, right? Like whether it's governmental pressure, market demand pressure, new product iterations. Mm -hmm. And so for the, for the smaller kind of agile companies, um, they can, they can, they seem to have the advantage in that. Right. So right. like when COVID hit and grocery stores shut down, 
it seemed like a lot of the smaller companies that could you know really quickly pivot and go direct to consumer well they knew who their consumers were they had their email addresses they could you know they they had to yeah, open up a shopify account or whatever it was and figure that out i'm not saying it was easy but some of these bigger companies maybe had a hard time pivoting but it, it seems like you guys are helping brands through some internal processes to to pivot and and make some of these changes so i, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, was it called forge is that right forge yes so yeah so, you know look and we, we were kind of talking about this earlier before we you know started recording is that and we were just happened to be talking about the printing industry that um yep this consolidation happening everywhere yeah it's all about how do i get more efficient and maybe maybe expand but then also create efficiency and it's really interesting on how consolidation is about growing a business but also reducing the business potentially internally yep. um so I think there's been an enormous amount of consolidation on all fronts, on the manufacturing side, on the CPG side, um, uh, on the packaging side, uh, even on the retail side. Um, and that consolidation has now created conglomerates of organizations that have enormous portfolios of products. And some within a very small group of brands and some within very large groups of brands. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I think when I was walking the store um, a week or two ago, you know, you, if you just take a brand like Kellogg's, which I actually noticed was, I think, dealing with a strike today, but mm. um, their brand, which is, you know, iconically developed in the cereal aisle, is now expanding into so many different categories. <laughs> um, you're seeing it in parts of the store that you would never see it before. So, so that's a really interesting challenge. And, and I think over the last few years, uh, industries that have large portfolios, like a retailer, a private label portfolio for a retailer could be 4,000 SKUs. Right. And it could be across one brand or two. And as of late, that industry has kind of really focused on trying to build a brand. So part of that brand development is design continuity. Um. And then, you know, take brands, whether it's, you know, Clorox or any other brand that has a brand that now is expanding across multiple categories, that brand needs to live on bags, boxes, labels, shrink wrap labels, all Flexo, Roto-Gravure, Offset, all different types of printing technologies. How do don't I maintain? digital. <laughs> right, right. And don't forget digital. Right. So, so how do you maintain that continuity? Right. Um, and I think the... Uh, a lot of that business has really been managed by production companies, mm. right? It's about file production and it's about efficient file production. And, and the more we spend time with retailers across multiple channels of trades and CPG companies that are expanding their portfolios, it's really a design challenge. It's like, you know, how am I going to take this, this label that is wrapped around a 16 ounce water bottle and then go apply it to, you know, a box of cereal? Mm. or scrowned in a frozen ice cream case right um, or a flexo you know vegetable bag and the and, and so for me that one the competitive dynamics within the category are very different the consumer mindset and purchase intent in the category is very different and and so how does that design maintain its brand essence and its visual and verbal brand strategy across a wide set of categories. You know, you know typically um, 
when people were doing large scale programs, consistent line looks were seen as more cost effective because it was step and repeat. This item descriptor here, picture here, you know, nutritional facts here. Right. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we'd all look at it and say, yep, that follows the guideline. But you go put, look at it in the store on the shelf and you're like, that just does not look appealing in that category. Um, and so there's that design nuance that really means to say, how do I translate that without without breaking the rules, but it's understanding um, the elasticity of the guidelines and then rules that have been set in place. And that's really a designer's eye. You know, that's a designer's eye needs to do that. So, so creatives kind of inspire the idea. And then we have what we call them adaptive designers that now say, okay, that's going to apply across these different pack type substrates and subcategories. And here's the competitive set of what's happening. Here's what's happening in that category. Here's where it's going to sit in the store. Um, and then now then go produce the file. So the designers are almost getting that to a point where it's a finished file. The production people are wrapping it up and making sure, you know, the things are printable and everything's in its right place. Um, you know, like even to your, to your case in point, um, you know, somebody might have a thing around a brand that you mentioned earlier. I want it on aluminum, right? And then say two years from now, they want to grow the brand into, I don't know, cosmetics. But I know that's going to sit in the bottom shelf in a drugstore. That aluminum is going to be reflective in the lighting in that store. It's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. That's why I kind of go back to saying you got to spend some time in the store to kind of really understand what the conditions are. Yeah. So Forge is really a balance of agile principles and design thinking to kind of say, how do I get the right people and the right information in a room based around a set of category dynamics and your brand program and be able to address the design challenge so that the brand intent, the design intent, and the execution of that design meets an expectation in that given category. Got it. And, and that's pretty, and it's a great place to kind of wrap it up because it's, it's super all encompassing of, you know, even where we started when you, when you start talking about motivation and then working with brands, it's like the, 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 the whole idea of, well, we have to come together and make decisions collectively I like the idea of like making it it the the spaces where your consumers will be, um, sure. and 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 the way that that can help to accelerate uh, you know managing changes like you you know you talked about how some of these massive companies have huge SKU counts or big private label brands have these huge SKU counts and so it is a big giant design problem um, right. to figure out how to how to encapture the integrity of the brand while also fitting within a different subcategory that mm-hmm. they, they didn't, they, they've never actually traditionally played in. And then you layer on top of that, the social demographics of, of the, of the buyer and, and, you know, who may be in there. So that, yeah, that is a, that, that's a, that is a tremendously great point. Um, well, Todd, we are uh, here at the end. Uh, time always goes fast on these, but uh, I'd love to, if you can give the listeners just a, a I mean, how, how could they get in touch with you and with CBX if they've got questions, uh, they need a good barber, yeah. um, whatever <laughs> I'm it might a barber. be. I could do it for them as long as they want it within an eighth of Yeah, that's what I say. I'm like, I'm a great barber. <laughs> you just may not like the outcome. <laughs> uh, look, the best way to reach me is at Todd at CBX.com. Really simple. Um, uh, and, and 
uh, you can kind of look us up on the web at you know cbx.com as well. Um, uh, and then a lot of more, we'll have more inform contact information of whether you want to reach out to my Minneapolis or, or our New York office. Great. And I'm, I'm excited to go, uh, as we were talking about pre-call, I'm, I'm pumped for one of my trips to Minneapolis when I'm going to visit the, the Myers plant up there to stop in and, and see what you guys are doing. Um, it's, it's such a, the packaging industry is so vast and, um, expansive and I find it all in its in its little subcategories to be like so fascinating so uh, which is why i have the podcast honestly um, yeah right it's, right it's a so, it's a little a bit of a labor of love about. you're never gonna run out of topics to talk about <laughs> i haven't yet so right. Uh, right. and and there's still so many more that i haven't even dug into so todd i really appreciate you being on uh, uh thanks thank for your you. time thank you for having me and it was great to be here well that is it for another episode of the people of packaging podcast thanks for listening it would mean so much to us if you would like and share and subscribe to this podcast. We want as many people to know about the incredible people that we have in the packaging industry because we believe that packaging is awesome. Thanks again.